January 20th, 2017, will be remembered as the day the people became the rulers of this nation again. We assembled here today are issuing a new decree to be heard in every city, in every foreign capital, and in every hall of power. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. We do not seek to impose our way of life on anyone, but rather to let it shine as an example. We will shine for everyone to follow. There should be no fear. We are protected and we will always be protected. We will be protected by the great men and women of our military and law enforcement. And most importantly, we will be protected by God. We stand at the birth of a little millennium, ready to unlock the mysteries of space, to free the earth from the miseries of disease, and to harness the energies, industries, and technologies of tomorrow. A new national pride will stir ourselves, lift our sights, and heal our divisions. Your voice, your hopes, and your dreams will define our American destiny. Together, we will make America strong again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And yes, together, we will make America great again. Thank you, God bless you, and God bless America. Let's go see the This is Christopher Hart with the American Adversaries Second Helping Podcast, where you get a sample of our American Adversaries radio show, which you can listen to live Sunday through Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time at the AnswerOrlando.com website, our website, AmericanAdversaries.com, and also our Rumble channel, American Adversaries. On our Sunday show, Kathy Santomasino, Pierce Outlaw, and I were mesmerized by Lair Adams' latest Larry tale about the force of evil. All right, it is that closing time, which means it is now time for Lair's latest Larry tale. Lair, All right. Take it away. Thank you, buddy. As Halloween approaches, along with the cooler, drier breezes of autumn, I feel compelled to indulge my daughter, who loves this holiday and the macabre feelings it elicits, with our good old monster story. One I dreamed up that I hope does not make me or you listeners a target or victim because I fear once you know it knows everything in the universe has a birth as organisms begin began to infect our lifeless earth something was either created 
or trapped by the cosmic effects radiating upon our infant planet. To call it a being would be debatable, since it has no corporeal form. It exists in a different realm, whether you call it another dimension or mere dementia. And like all things, it has to eat. As soon as Mother Nature created predators and prey, this thing began to feed. Not on blood and tissue, but the fear and agony the helpless prey emits as the predator greedily mauls and prolongs the suffering of its meal. All the energy from the pain and panic of impending death had to go somewhere. So Mother Nature garnered or created a force to feed on the violence that occurs in perpetuating species. The result was the hedron, a force or object as ethereal as Mother Nature herself, with tentacles that reach every inch of the planet and every one. It would be wrong to call Hedron a monster, since it was content doing its job in the processes of life and death. That is, until the existence or evolution of man. Lions, tigers, anacondas, and sharks existed within the system of the world's delicate order. Humans, who above all other predators, became the masters at inflicting torment and fear. Then, like an over-fertilized houseplant, the hedron grew enormous, much bigger than nature's plan, which was being slowly eaten away by these supposedly intelligent bipeds. Man's earlier wars was hot cuisine for this entity without form or face. Mortal combat with swords and clubs fed hedron like a gorilla with a boatload of bananas. Sometime during the centuries before Christ, this malignant entity realized it could tease humans' thoughts to create conflict. The result was an easy way to dine lavishly. The thoughts of men and women were easy to manipulate, and this creature who relishes, relishes greed, dominance, and hatred has our world as its smorgasbord. However, the onset of World War II created an enigma for the Hedron. Warfare became less personal as man developed weapons of greater destruction, making hand-to-hand -hand combat less prevalent. An exploding bomb ended the fear, and therefore nutrition for the beast. While in Hiroshima, this feeder on death was hungrily gobbling up the agony of the vi victims of near-constant bombing. Then, the bomb. Even an immortal can be affected by something not unleashed on this world before. An injured and weakened hedron decided to go after weaker prey, those who were susceptible to the joys of inflicting pain and tragedy. Remember, the hedron's tendrils reach everywhere. Each son of Sam, Jeffrey Dahmer, and Idi Amin became prey. But surprisingly, not Adolf Hitler. Hedron has no personality and therefore uninterested in a tyrant's orders. However, the agony forced on the Jews was sweet fodder for this beast. Dracula, Godzilla, werewolves, zombies, and aliens are meaningless tripe because we know they're not real. Don't think for a minute. The hedron isn't. It has no ears or eyes, but probes your brain as easy as you think. It's amazing how it can pounce on rambling thoughts of anger and aggression every moment its tentacles are hovering above your head, ready to eat your rage against your fellow man.
Every driver that cuts you off, everyone who shuts you down with their arrogance, even if they're right, everybody who feels differently than you, you may not want them dead, but you want them to suffer. The hedron is eating you like a cockroach munching on a pear. This Halloween, don't be afraid of goblins and ghosts. Today, its main feeding ground is in the Middle East. Once again, the Jewish race, allegedly blessed by God, is forced to feed the hedron. It's waiting for you to raise your hand in rage, to experience joy at another's loss, or steal innocence from unstained children. The hedron is right there, floating above yours and my head. It arrives like a soft autumn breeze and lingers. Then, like the aftermath of a hurricane, sneaks away after eating its fill. Sleep well tonight. No monsters or storybook villains will consume you. But keep wondering if the hedron is drooling over your head. Oh, and happy Halloween. Oh, very good, Lair. That reminds me of a Johnny Quest episode, right? Where you got <laughs> these, these weird creatures, right? The, the hedron. Oh, very good. Very good. Okay. Once again, you'll find that on our webpage, AmericanAdversaries.com, with Lair's other Larry Tales. All right. When we come back, uh, we're going to leave you tonight with the one of the trailers from the Police State movie. This is a, a little bit longer one. It's a little over three minutes. And just a little taste of what's going to be in the movie tomorrow as it debuts in theaters around the country. So I hope you'll have a chance to see it, if not in the theater, at the, and in the convenience of your home, virtually, and spread the word around. And as Dinesh D'Souza puts it, we're not officially in a police state yet because if we were, he wouldn't be able to make the movie. But we're well on our way there. And if we don't do something about it, we will be in a police state in very short order. Okay. Don't forget to stick around for some more great programming after our show in Atlanta. You got Mark Walters and Armed American Radio. And here locally, you got some other broadcasts. And then later on tonight, you'll have Mark Walters and Armed American Radio. Just wait till Dinesh gets his gag order. <laughs> yeah, really. All right. So, uh, the and by the way, there will be a Mar-a-Lago debut of the film as well. I believe it's November the 1st. And Sonia Labosco, who we were telling you about, uh, will be there at that Mar-a-Lago premiere. All right, in the meantime, we will be right back with more of the American Adversaries Sunday evening three-hour classic tour. On Trump and Tuesday, Congressman Corey Mills revealed to Mike McBath, Randy Ross, and me two of his colleagues he thought would be great candidates for Speaker of the House. One of them would become just that. Okay, welcome back to the American Adversaries on this Trump and Tuesday brought to us by Sutherland Nissan. We're on the road at Applebee's in Michigan and Orange, but right now I want to go right to Congressman Corey Mills for, let's see, Congressman Mills, thanks for tuning in, or <laughs> thanks for checking in. <laughs> thanks for checking in with us tonight. Go ahead, update I appreciate us. It. Thanks, you, Chris. you got the microphone. Go ahead. Well, you know, we're still here um, in the Ways and Means uh, committee room. Uh, we're going through nomination speeches and candidate forums and uh, trying to find the person who is going to be best to truly represent uh, America and also represent the House of Representatives. Um, right now, for me, you know, there's two strong conservatives that I'm going to back. Uh, one is Congressman Byron Donalds, who I'd endorsed, who I think that he, bling, he brings in a really unique uh, and diverse qualification with 
his business finance background, but also the fact that he's been able to be a great moderator in some of the key issues that we've had, like HR2 to Secure the Border Act or even Lemon Save Grow. Uh, he has an economic growth strategy. Uh, he understands the significant importance of getting the Low-Cost Energy Act, HR1, in play. But we also have Mike Johnson of Louisiana, who is another strong constitutionalist, very principled conservative. Uh, those two would be uh, my top choice right now if Jim Jordan wasn't someone who put his hat in the ring. Uh, I did. I was one of the 26 people who refused to support uh, Tom Emmer. Uh, I don't think that's the direction that America needs to go. I don't think that is a change to D.C. status quo. And uh, I think that is just more swampiness that was going on. And so I couldn't support that if we're really here. And my purpose of being elected was to effectuate change. Tom Emmer wasn't that change that America needs. And so right now we are uh, he's withdrawn his uh, nominations. He was the speaker designee uh, with 187 votes, keeping in mind that Jim Jordan had 200, as did uh, Steve Scalise. Um, and he realized that he couldn't flip any of the 26. Uh, that was a part of this. At that point, he withdrew his nomination. So we're back to now. Uh, Congressman Byron Donalds, I know, has confirmed uh, Mike Johnson, Mark Green, um, and a couple of others. And, and, and we're still getting the final designee or the uh, nomination list, uh, which will come out in about three minutes. But we'll be voting on that, listening to the forum. And I'll continue to fight to find the most constitutionally principled conservative speaker of the House that can drive force our agenda who can actually fight when they're in the four-corner meetings where you have Hakeem Jeffries, McConnell, and also um, Schumer. So basically you have three Democrats in the room. So we need to make sure that we have a strong Republican who can be in there who will actually fight to secure our border, to get us an economic strategy, to ensure that we take care of our children, clean up the crime in our cities, and get back to an America First agenda. And, and I'm not voting for anyone unless they have a plan and a strategy to be able to do so. All right. Congressman, by the way, I'm I'm hearing music in the. Uh, well, I think are we? Is it because we're at this event? Maybe that could be possibly. it. Possibly. Anyway, yeah. Congressman Nimmols, uh I had read that one of the reasons why Jim Jordan couldn't get those extra votes is that he wasn't the fundraiser that uh, they expected out of a Speaker of the House. Is, is that true? And is that high on the priority list in the uh, in the debate? Well, I'll tell you the same thing that I've told everyone in this room is that if you're basing our next Speaker of the House off of, off of the currency they raise as opposed to the meritocracy they present, then that's why it's become the swamp that it is. And the bottom line is, is that that's not his only reason. He had people who are undershooting him. I still believe that McCarthy and others are trying to work side deals so they can make sure they have some sense of a, a backroom faux control. Uh, and so I, I think that there's still a lot of things that are going on here that's coming to light. You see... As you watch and read the room, who runs to the back of the room when someone gets more votes than the others and uh, what kind of gaggles and, and clicks that come about. Um, but, but the reality is, is that, it, yes, it's part of who can raise funding. It is part of who can actually unify, though I don't feel that that's the, the key significance. And who can essentially put together a strategy that allows us to not only help support taking the White House in 24, but maintain and grow the majority here. Again, one of the biggest issues that I have in D.C., is that a lot of these people who are elected spend about 60 to 70 percent of their time not on legislation, not on representing their constituency, but on fundraising. And it's the, it's, it's the problem that we have in D.C. is that it's currency over meritocracy. We need to ensure that we get things, and the next speaker actually promotes the idea of term limits, who understands that it's not just about how much money you raise, but what you bring in value in representing the American people. 
We need to actually have true representatives and statesmen who act, not a bunch of politicians who talk. Congressman, are the members getting, shall we say, more friendly or more antagonistic in this process? I think that we're getting through a lot of the kind of more antagonistic side of things. There are people who are hard-nosed on, on certain individuals. Uh, some of it's personality-driven. Uh, I think the majority of it is personality-driven, to be fair. But you also have this kind of dynamic within the Republican Party where there's kind of the five families, right? You've got like House Freedom Caucus and Main RG2 and uh, these types of things that go on. But, but for me, a lot of people are going to see this as being messy. I personally see what is happening right now, what is actually taking place is the evolution of us going from, you know, what was our great, great grandfather's, you know, Republican Party to advancing the conservative movement. And I think that people are starting to realize that we're not going to continue to be D.C. status quo. We're not going to continue to, uh, you know, have this out of control spending, CRs, omnibus, minibus, and all these types of failed policies. We're actually going to hold people's feet to the fire. We believe in transparency, accountability, accessibility, all the things that I ran on. And I think that that's where we're at right now. So we're getting ready to gavel back in. I will give you guys an update on my earliest, but uh, just know that I'm going to continue to fight. I'm proud to be one of the 26 who uh, eliminated Tom Emmer's uh, chance at speakership. And thank unless you. we have a thank true constitutional conservative, yeah, right. I'm going to keep fighting. Yeah, and thank you for that. Thank you for everything you're doing. You're right on spot. You're spot on target. Thank you, and have a great evening, and we look forward to hearing back from you again. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. You got it. Congressman Corey Mills with DC Declassified with Congressman Corey Mills, and he just declassified it for us right there. On contest Thursday, where Jeff Bonning, Rick Brown, Mike McBath, and I were in the midst of judging our annual All Hallows' Eve costume contest, we took time out so I could describe the best parts of Congressman Mike Johnson becoming Speaker. Okay, here's how you know the Republicans did something right when they elected Mike Johnson. The Democrats hate it. That's great. That's one of the best things about it is they hate it. But it's Mm -hmm. even better than that. I'll tell you why here in just a minute. And uh, and it turns out the guy has got. Let's just say he's he's. You might say he's got game, Mm -hmm. or he's got a sense of humor, or better yet, he's got both. Kind of like Donald Trump. He's gamey. He got a sense of humor. So. Uh, this was a little tweet back and forth that occurred back in November of 2021. All right. Evidently, Kevin McCarthy had a, made a speech on the floor of the House of Representatives. And Eric Swalwell, you remember Fang Fang Swalwell? Oh, God, yeah. Eric Swalwell tweeted this. He says, is there an English trans... It, I'm sorry. Is there an English translation... For GOP leader McCarthy floor speech, question mark. And then Mike Johnson replied to him, you prefer it whispered to you in Chinese? <laughs> That's taking a good shot, oh, nice. buddy. That Very was real nice. nice. Right off so the bat, we know how we're you We're in for some good back yep. and forth. But you know what I know? The best part about this is that the Democrats, you know who they can blame for this? Do you remember? I know themselves. Right, that's the whole point here. If it weren't for the Democrats, they wouldn't have. We wouldn't have Mike Johnson. Okay, right now, Gates he might have started it, but he could not have succeeded if every single doggone Democrat didn't go along with it. And now they hate it. (laughs) Uh, They they hate it, and they can't stand it. And and of course, they all got to know. 
And I'm sure they're going to get some questions from the media. Well, you know, uh, you did vote along with Matt Gates and the other seven Republicans. So do this, you stupid idiots. Hey, Chris, you wait. <laughs> you, you, know the show, Chris, you know the show Mission Impossible? Yes. Wait until Mike Johnson rips off yeah. his mask and it's Donald Trump. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's great. He might as well be. He might as well no, be. Right. He's not indicted. He might be better. He voted against this stupid clown show 1-6 nonsense. Right. Right. He was one of the objectors on 1-6, and he never turned his back on Trump. It's Donald Trump. He is their worst enemy. And this is why I say this whole thing, the whole world is turning in our favor. God made this happen. And he used the Democrats to do it. That is so beautiful. That is political irony. It is. It it, it is gorgeous. It is tremendous to behold. It's a new day in America. It is a new day in America. That's true. That's right. We'll get our bumper stickers out. New day in America. This is the kind of guy we can actually win with next Mm -hmm. year. Right? No, he sets the pace. That's what's great. That's right. Mm -hmm. And he's in office. He doesn't have the beg to get in. That's right. So the Democrats have themselves to thank for all of this. Mm -hmm. And that is the best part of the whole damn thing. On Patriot Home Funding Friday, Pierce Outlaw, Nostra Dennis, and I were joined by publisher of Undoing Time magazine, Patrick Magaro, to discuss this week's developments in President Trump's legal quagmires. And we'd like to welcome now our WACX-TV audience, the Super Channel, 55.7 on your antenna remote. And more and more people are dropping the cable, going to that antenna, baby. All right, and then, of course, you can go on the Internet if you want to customize things. All right, speaking of customize, we got Nostradamus. Yes, I was waiting for the TV cameras, and now that they're on, hi, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) And Pierce Outlaw. It is a Patriot Home Funding Friday, after all. I am Christopher Hart. Jeff's on the bridge and on the line with us now is the publisher of Undoing Time magazine. You can find them at undoingtimemagazine.org. That's right, undoingtimemagazine.org. And, of course, I'm talking about our legal expert, Patrick McGarrow. Patrick, how are you doing today? Excellent, Chris. And it's undoingtime.org, just as a slight correction. We're oh. up and running. Last week we were under construction. This week we are uh, up and running. We're joined by the lovely Joya, who's listening to us live on the radio. And we're also joined by uh, my workout partner, Amazing Joel. Amazing Joel uh, has been with me for years and uh, is new to the show. All right. Well, thank you guys for tuning in, Joya and Joel. So it's undoingtime.org, undoingtime.org. All right, and you've got some great articles in it, uh, as I saw today. Uh, let's start in Washington, D.C. this time. Uh, you have an article in there where actually the ACLU is coming to Donald Trump's defense. How can this be? Surprise, surprise, surprise. The same ACLU that defends uh pedophiles, child molesters, and people who like to gen- uh, mutilate their children's genitalia. She hadn't put it quite like that. <laughs> it's it's kind of like, oh, I'm gosh. about as subtle, uh, uh, subtle as a kick to the groin, uh, Chris. Well, then why are, they coming, why are they coming to his defense? Because every once in a while, and I stress this once in a while, they are actually getting something right, and in this case, it's First Amendment. Uh, the ACLU is is filing an amicus curiae brief, which is a, a friend of the court brief, before Judge Ch- uh, Tanya Chutkin, arguing that her gag order violates Donald Trump's First Amendment rights. And as you read, and I have posted that uh, that potential brief 
on that website in that article so your uh, readers can read it themselves. They say a lot of unkind things about Donald Trump. However, they recognize that he enjoys, just like you and me, the same First Amendment rights to freedom of expression, political speech, that everybody else does, and to stamp and step all over his rights is just as wrong as to step on somebody else's rights. Now, we're talking about the gag order that she issued last week, beginning of the week, and then by the end of the week, she had issued a stay on her own order. Uh, is, is she rethinking this? Is, is somebody from the ACLU give her a call and say, hey, what are you doing here? Uh, and is that un- how unusual or usual is it for a judge to stay their own order less than a week after having issued it? It, well, the, the sequence of events here is what's unusual. It's not unusual for judges to stay their own order, especially when a party appeals, which Trump's attorneys have immediately appealed that gag order to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, what What is strange is that she waited until after the appeal was filed and then uh, stayed it, and now the government is asking for her to lift that stay because they're not happy. Trump is doing something as obnoxious and horrible speaking his mind and expressing himself politically. Can you imagine the horror, Chris? Oh, God, yeah. Tell me, Patrick, if Trump showed up at a rally and stood there at the podium with duct tape across his face for about 10 minutes, would that be violating the gag order, do you think? <laughs> or would that suffice? Uh, it, it, it depends on what kind of a tortured reading the uh, you know Jack Smith's team want to, wants to give it. Uh, I'm sure they could find something wrong with it. I mean, uh, oh, and I've said this yeah. before, and I know you know my former law partner Jamie uh, has said this many, many, many times, and he's 100 percent right. When they want to come and get you on something, they're going to find something. Uh, they're going to twist and oh, yeah. contort that law and, and yeah. do backwards yeah. somersaults in order to get you. Oh, oh yeah, they would uh, they would say that that would have been a threat by Trump is what he was going to right. do to them, you see. Sure, of uh, course. And of by course. the way, he will be speaking tomorrow in Las Vegas at a uh, get-together-the-caucus-people type thing. So if you want to see him speak, it'll be tomorrow, I believe, 6 p.m. Um, Patrick, I wanted to ask you about Trump's motion this week to bring in classified documents that supposedly prove that the 2016 and 2000 or 2020 elections had foreign interference. Um, is there any circumstance where the judge would not allow those documents as evidence? Hmm. Yes, and 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 for, forgive my uh, cynicism, but. Uh since the government has filed opposition to that, the circumstance in which the gov- the court would not allow those documents to come in is if it helps Trump and it hurts Jack Smith. Uh, <laughs> so if, if it helps Trump, it's inadmissible. If it hurts him, anything goes. Doesn't that guarantee an appeal? That, that definitely guarantees an appeal because now you're talking about the constitutional right to present a defense, which is enshrined in our Constitution, just like those First Amendment uh, rights that the ACU, ACLU is fighting for. Um, that would constitute a grounds for an appeal if he were to be convicted. Hopefully he will not be convicted, and hopefully this judge wises up and allows this man to present his defense which every American has the right to do. It would seem to me it's exculpatory evidence, but what do I know, right? Um, you also have an article about the, I believe the Trump's lawyers filed three 
uh, appeals or three motions this week. Uh, you just three motions to dismiss. Okay, and then uh, was the was the gag order one of those, or is this totally or three motions this separate? This is totally different. All right, uh, if Trump's, you go, please go through them. Sure. Uh, Trump's lawyers have filed three motions to dismiss on three separate and distinct grounds. One of them is based on First Amendment protection and basically saying that what the government has done has criminalized his expression of speech, his First Amendment expression. And there is, and I do some tutoring of law students too, and obviously well-versed in this, um, First Amendment protections are actually very robust from, as per the Supreme Court. You cannot criminalize speech. Even the Supreme Court has gone so far as to protect people like the Ku Klux Klan and the neo-Nazis and the Black Panthers and all those, you know, right-wing and left-wing people that, you know, espouse violence and, and protected them because in certain circumstances, their right to, to speech, their right under the First Amendment trumps everything, no matter how much you may disagree with that message. Okay. That's how strong this is. So basically, that's motion number one. Number two is a motion for vindictive and selective prosecution. And Trump is essentially taking Joe Biden's own words, where he specifically went on television and said, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that Donald Trump never becomes president again. Three days after Trump announces his formal candidacy for president in 2024, Guess what happens? Jack Smith comes about, and within a couple of months, you have an indictment, and then now you have uh, a criminal prosecution, which Trump is arguing in that motion is in effect to silence him. The third motion is strictly on legal technicalities. The indictment and the uh, allegations in the, indi in the indictment and the evidence that was presented to the grand jury is insufficient to establish the violations of federal law that Jack Smith is charged with. All right. A couple of questions. First of all, are any of these interlocutory uh, motions that could work their way up to the Supreme Court? Uh, most these types of motions, no. Uh, if they are uh, denied, as I expect the judge will probably deny them, then Trump will have to wait uh, in the wings and hope that uh, he does not get a conviction then um then and only then would he be able to appeal if there was a conviction. Appeal on but the, those would be three separate grounds that he could raise. Okay. Not not for nothing. That motion to uh, on on the statutory grounds on that technicality stuff. I expect the government is going to flesh out their argument or their their theory of prosecution a little bit more in their response, which is probably why they haven't responded to it yet. Um, they're going to flesh out their their theory, and that's going to give Trump's attorneys. A little bit of a preview of what they can expect at the trial in the way of uh, the government's theory of prosecution. In other words, they'll have to show a little bit of his case, his hand. They're going to have to show some of their whole cards, yeah. Right. Okay. All right. Very good. Very good. All right. Well, let's uh, let's swing over to Atlanta. Uh, you you did check in the other night on the show to talk about uh, the deal that uh, Jenna Ellis got. Um, now they're saying that uh, I think another half dozen or so are they're working on deals too. But uh, first of all, your thoughts on that. And then Pierce um, found, I guess there is a provision in the Georgia sentencing laws. Is that right, what you you're talking about earlier? Yeah, we're uh, in the first offender laws where there is no admission of guilt 
and their work record is wiped clean as if nothing had ever happened after completion of the probation. So it would seem to me that, you know, these pleas are pretty toothless. It, it's, it is possible. Um, but, you know, as I thought about this more over the, over the past week, you know, one of the things that the audience has to be aware of, uh, me having, you know, I practiced criminal defense law for about 21, 22, almost 22 years. Um, in these big cases like this, where you have a lot of different agendas, a lot of competing narratives, uh, one of the things the prosecution wants to do just as much as the defense wants to do is whittle down the issues, uh, minimize the exposure, and what you don't want is a code as a prosecutor. As a prosecutor, you don't want a co-defendant getting on the witness stand and pointing to Donald Trump and saying he didn't do anything wrong. It was all me, or it was all someone else, or I had nothing to do with this man. Especially in a conspiracy case, because that could sow the seeds of reasonable doubt in a juror's mind. That's one thing. That all of these plea deals may be designed just to neutralize these people as potential witnesses for Donald Trump, get them out of the way, so to speak. Now, the other thing is, and I didn't see this in any of the news reports or the transcripts or documents, normally when there is a conspiracy and you want to make sure that one of the co-defendants does not come back and testify for a co-conspirator is during the plea allocution, which is where the judge asks the defendant, are you pleading guilty of your own free will? What did you do that makes you, in fact, guilty? The prosecutors will usually insist on some language where they have to implicate their co-conspirators during the course of the plea, and that will effectively neutralize them and solidify their status as a cooperating witness. I didn't see any of that with any of these three witnesses. So part of the, and I postulated in my monologue that a lot of this had to do with shutting these people up, and it was the same strategy that the FBI and DOJ used against General Flynn, which was to intimidate him, threaten his family, bankrupt him, and then shut him up. Uh, you, you may very well be onto something here. Um, your position, given what we know, is certainly 110% plausible, given my experience. I can tell you that is a, a distinct possibility. And in the absence of any pleas, I remember we were puzzling over this all week long. Why didn't they have him plead to the RICO case? Well, right. maybe they don't think that the RICO charge is all that good. The best way to shore that up, if you're going to use a cooperating witness, is have them implicate Donald Trump in open court and say, yes, I conspired with that man to do X, Y, Z. Now, as a defendant or a co-defendant, you are on the hook. You can't take that back because you are, you've said under oath in court that you conspired with Donald Trump to do X, Y, Z. You cannot assert the Fifth Amendment and stay silent, and you cannot go back on your word. Otherwise, you're going to get a perjury charge. Yeah, but none they of, didn't do that here. I was going to say, none of them actually did that, though, correct? Right. No, none right. of them have done that. And, right. and and the prosecutors have not insisted on it, which makes you wonder what's really going on. Do you think that, uh, given these, these deals, they're trying to build the perception that there was, even though there wasn't, but that there was because, well, look, they're all pleading guilty, right? They're all admitting something here. It's sort of the public relations game. Could there be some of that going on here? That's, a, that's an absolute possibility. Fannie right. Willis knows that 
that everybody's watching, uh, that her potential jury pool is watching this very carefully. Uh, and unless you're living under a rock, <laughs> right, right, you've had to have heard something about this. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And, of course, uh, that uh, Atlanta, Atlanta urinal and constipation is having a field day with all of this up there. Uh, <laughs> Patrick's going to stay with us. Uh, we've got some more court action to talk about when we come back. I hope you will be with us as well on this Patriot Home Funding Friday. And once again, you can find these articles that we were referring to here at undoingtime.org. That's undoingtime.org. And can people sign up and, like, subscribe there, Patrick? Absolutely. There's a totally free newsletter. Uh, you can get all these blasted out to you, and, and you can stay on and check it daily. All right. There you go. Undoingtime.org. Sign up tonight. Why wait? We'll be right back. 